think the thing we want to remember about the nervous system is that it it gives you information all the time. And if we don't pay attention, it's going to act in more intense ways until it gets us to pay attention. Hello, everyone, and welcome to That Wellness Podcast with Natalie Deering. Today, I am sitting with Deb Dana. Deb is a clinician and consultant specializing in helping people safely explore and resolve the consequences of trauma. She lectures internationally on ways polyvagal theory informs therapy and works with organizations wanting to bring a polyvagal informed approach to working with clients. Deb is the author of the books, Polyvagal Exercises for Safety and Connection, The Polyvagal Theory and Therapy. She's the creator of the Polyvagal Flip Chart and co-editor with Stephen Porges in the book, Clinical Applications of the Polyvagal Theory. Welcome, Deb, to the podcast. Well, thanks. Lovely to be here. As we were chatting before I hit record, I truly am just so grateful to be speaking with you right now as a therapist and someone who has had your books for many, many years. And I've had your polyvagal flip chart literally next to my therapy chair. <laughs> I love hearing that. You, you can't know. It makes it makes me my heart happy when I hear that from, from colleagues. So thank you. Of course. Well, thank you for creating these resources and and writing these wonderful books because they're just especially and we'll get into this more so, but I'm kind of fanning right now over you and the polyvagal exercises for safety and connection book in particular. That one, if people listening aren't if anyone's not familiar with that book, I would highly recommend that book because you list off 50 client centered practices and those practices, I was just looking back through the book and I read it when it first came out and it's just covered in me <laughs> like highlighting, you know, dog earing pages, um, underlining things, highlighting things. So you have so much information. Thank you. Thank you. You know, part of that, I think, is because uh, I we recognize that each nervous system will be um, pulled toward certain things and not others. And so I'm always trying to offer a menu of choices for clinicians so that they have a menu to offer their clients so that they can find something that appeals to that particular nervous system. That's right. And that makes a lot of sense. And And I feel that within myself as I was, you know, have I been, as I've been taking in your information and your books and, you know, it's not like every single one of those exercises is going to work for me. Right. Like right. you were saying, yeah. we kind of have to experiment and yeah. try yeah. some things out. Yeah. 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 And that, that I have this lovely line I use all the time. There's no right or wrong way. There's just the way of your nervous system. And mm -hmm. that is, I think what we're helping clients to understand that, you know, we'll find an exercise that helps you come into connection and befriend your nervous system, but it, you know, may not be the first three we look at. And that's, that's just right. Right. Yeah. Your nervous system is going to guide the way and we're going to follow where it takes us. Yeah. yeah. And that's very, the word that I'm feeling as you say, that is compassionate mm -hmm. towards each person and yeah. their yeah. nervous system and yeah, that there's not there's not like, this is the right way and you need to do it this way. And if it's not working for you, then you're doing it wrong or right. exactly. there's, yeah, exactly. it mm -hmm. feels very, very compassionate. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's 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 meant to be. I think you know polyvagal theory um, is is a very um, welcoming way of being with the nervous system. It reduces shame and blame. Mm -hmm. um, it takes that stigmatization away of diagnosis, and it welcomes curiosity and compassion. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really curious to ask you, when and how did you get introduced to polyvagal theory? Yeah. Yeah. Steve and I were reminiscing uh, the other day, actually. Um, I read his first book, um, The Polyvagal Theory, which um, is a a deep read, is how, how I might <laughs> say it. <laughs> and um, I have always loved brain science. I've been a neuroscience geek my entire life. And, and I, you know, have loved reading research. And so somehow that book came across my, uh, my, my awareness and I read it and I thought, oh, this is important information. It was like a missing piece of the puzzle, right? Because I knew the brain stuff, but then here was this whole other system that actually informs the brain, about mm -hmm. what's happening. And I thought, oh, I need to learn this, you know, in a more deep way. I need to bring this into my work. And so I started playing around with how do I bring Steve's brilliant science into everyday clinical application? And at the same time, I um, reached out and, and um, Alan Shore had been to Maine. Um, we had invited Alan to come to Maine and do a presentation and Alan knew Steve. And so I said to Alan, could you give me an introduction? And so he made that introduction. I actually called Steve up. It was in the days when you still phoned people, right? right. I called him <laughs> up and said, you know, I'm really fascinated with your work and, and wondered if you would come to Maine and, and present to my, you know, colleagues. And he said, I'd love to, right? I mean, back in the day when he was not as famous, when phones were still the way you talked mm -hmm. and people just said, yes, I'd love to. So that's kind of where it all, all started. And, and he came and he, you know, helped me understand um, the nervous system in a little more nuanced way. And the work that I was already creating to bring it into clinical sessions, he was, um, he liked, he appreciated, he approved of what I was doing. And mm -hmm. it felt like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going in the right direction. And, you know, he spent a few days, he and, and, and his wife, Sue Carter, who, if you don't know, is also a brilliant scientist in her own mm. right and discovered the role of oxytocin in relationships oh, and wow. pair bonding. So the two of them are this, you know, interesting power couple. We had a lovely time. Um, and, you know, I like to, to say, I think my nervous system found a kindred spirit in mm. Steve's nervous system. And it's sort of all began there and has been this lovely, you know, first mentor, then, you know, colleague and now friend that, that, yeah. uh, you know, has happened. So yeah, yeah, you kind of never know, do you, where, mm -hmm. where a, a meeting or a, a, a reading a book or an article right. is going to take you, right? Yeah, that's right. And yeah. that's what I find so much fun, uh, that yeah. we can have interest in something and something inside of us is like, you know what, I'm going to call that person, or I'm going to email that person. And like you said, that can lead you to where you are now in the midst of yeah. this yeah. world of yeah. polyvagal and exactly. the nervous system and yeah. just, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 It was a life-changing moment for me. And, and uh, yeah, I love that. As you said, you just never know. So mm -hmm. if you feel like reaching out, I'd say, go ahead and do it. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I always, you know, as I got into podcasting, there were parts of me that were scared and hesitant yeah. to, you know, just reach out to people who I found interesting 
And what I found was this kind of realization of like, well, the worst that they really can say is maybe nothing. <laughs> right. It goes into the black hole of the internet right. somewhere and you get nothing. It's yeah. nothing. Right. Or they say no. And, right. and it's like, okay, right. well, at least I yeah. asked. But yeah, it's a pretty amazing when you reach yeah. out and yeah. someone is open to it. Yeah. And that yeah. can create, like you said, these lifelong mm-hmm. or just really meaningful mm-hmm. connections. And so how do you feel like you, and this is kind of a big question, but how do you feel like it's impacted you personally? Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it, it truly was a, a a before and after moment for me. I read about um, the nervous system and began looking through the lens of polyvagal theory. And I think when you do that, for, you first learn it in in a top-down way. You're, it's a cognitive experience, but then it becomes a, a bottom-up embodied experience. And when that happens, it changes not only the way you work, but the way you're living your life, mm-hmm. right? And, and that, I think, is the beauty of of understanding the nervous system of, of, of befriending your, your nervous system. And, and, you know, that happened for me along the way, you know, to really tune in in a different way, because we're not taught, I don't think, um, to do that. We're, we're, we're taught mm-hmm. that our brains are running the show and, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's sort of a paradigm shift to think, oh, but our nervous system is sending information to the brain. And then the brain, its job is to make up a story that makes some kind of sense of it. It was, it was like everything was upside down all of a sudden. So, right. you know, I'm, and I've been doing this enough years now so that I feel like I have a fairly good understanding of my nervous system, connection to my nervous system. And just like every other human, I have my messy moments, right? Which, mm-hmm. which I think is also the, the beauty of understanding polyvagal theory that none of us are regulated all the time. And I think when I could begin to really understand the science of that, I could begin to find some self-compassion instead of the, you know, the, the self-critical judging, shaming voices that, mm-hmm. you know, those parts that, that, mm-hmm very active in my my system and i think um over the course of this i don't know over a decade now that that you know i've been doing this through some very difficult times understanding the nervous system has been necessary important um a lifeline mm-hmm. right help me kind of when you can look at somebody else when you can look at the world and see them as dysregulated then I think you can say, what does that nervous system need That's to right. feel a little better, a little more regulated, a little safer? And maybe I can then, you know, offer that, right? Mm-hmm. If I look at the world or another person or a situation as, you know, broken or, you know, just I give it the cognitive story, there's not much I can do with that. That's right. right. The same with my own situation. When I beat up on myself, there's not much I can do. But when I think, oh, my biology is having a reaction at the moment, then there's a way forward. Mm-hmm. So it's giving given me a way forward in in some, you know, really difficult times. So people probably, you know, because I I've been very open about it. My husband had a stroke in 2015. And, you know, I would train people and teach and come home and say, Bob, you've got another you know, a bunch of people who are, who are rooting for you, who know you now, because he was it's just such a part of, of my life, my world. Yeah. And, and um, he died um, about three months ago. And, and that yeah. whole experience of being a caregiver mm-hmm. and then moving with someone <clears throat> through a dying process was made possible for me through 
understanding my nervous system and seeing mm -hmm. it through the lens of the nervous system. So, you know, I think I'm a, a great example of, you know, that the power and the, and the, the promise of being able to look through the nervous system to, you know, not only survive, but, but manage in a different way, the, the things that life throws at us, Yeah, which, you know, so you know, it really was, I told Steve as we were together, a, you know, a few weeks ago, and I said, life changing for me to, to have been introduced to your theory and, and, you know, of course him and friendship, but the, the, the understanding of the science has helped me move through the world differently. And that's my, my hope for everybody who begins to understand their nervous system, that you will yeah. move through the world in a new way. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate I'm really appreciative of yeah you sharing that right now and and how it's really because you're a human absolutely yeah you're a human yeah and to be able to have that I feel like I the sense that I get is just like this harmonious yeah compassionate understanding being with all of us and I'm pointing to like all of me <laughs> all mm -hmm. of me and all of you that we are so much more than our thoughts we're so much more than just any one of these things that we're all of it and when we can have that understanding and compassion towards our biology uh in the ifs lens the psychological parts of us that are connected maybe to that biology and how it impacts each other yeah that we don't have to be stuck right Right. And it is the stuckness that, that brings suffering. It's not the, the dysregulation into a survival strategy that brings the suffering. It's when we dysregulate it, get stuck there. Then we suffer. That's right. And the people around us suffer. Yes. Right? But we're all moving in and out of these, these, you know, fight, flight, collapse, mm -hmm. shutdown moments all the time in little ways. And then sometimes some days are big, you know, there are, there are a lot of big moments of, of that. That's normal and expected. It, it's just, we have to learn not to get stuck, to find our way back. I call it home. I call we come home mm -hmm. to regulation and come home to what's known as ventral, that place of safety connection. We all need to find our way back home mm -hmm. because we, we dysregulate all the time. It's when we get lost and stuck that we suffer. Yeah. That's right. That's that's exactly my experience personally as well. As I look back at the times where I've really suffered and it's when I've been stuck in, yeah. typically for me, it's a sympathetic state, typically of flight or kind Ooh. of that anxiety kind anxiety. of fear yeah. running yeah, type feeling. And those times in my life when that has become stuck, that's been extremely yeah. difficult. And yeah. I do feel like now it's, for me, it's being more in relationship with the understanding about the biology of my body and how I'm wired. And then also connecting with the parts of me that were really fearful. Yeah. yeah. And as you talk about like the, the story that can then start being created in the brain mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. once activation is happening in the body and yeah. knowing that is so empowering. Yeah. It's also yeah. empowering along with compassion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I mean, with the, the shorthand we say is that your state creates your story, right? Because the state you're in then, you know, feeds that information, brain makes story. And it is empowering to know that 
we have many stories mm -hmm. in our in our being. We have one that comes from sympathetic anxiety, one from sympathetic anger, one from dorsal collapse, disappear, shutdown, and one from connection and safety, mm -hmm. right? And the story that you get pulled into comes from the state that has taken over your system in that moment. So when you're in that flight anxiety, anxiety that's the state that's running your system and that's the story you're going to hear right that's your i call that home away from home the survival yeah. state we end up in most often my home away from home is dorsal so i hear that dorsal story of hopeless disconnection disappearing mm. right and when i can remember oh there are a couple of other stories available in my system then sometimes i can begin to be curious about what they are right that's yeah. the big one too is curiosity I yes. have found that when I can feel access some curiosity, then the parts of me that have a lot of fear can step back. Yes. And then yeah. that's where a shift can happen. Yeah. Where I can be present maybe with some of the activation, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. if I'm curious about it, that yeah. fear has stepped to the side and then I'm not suffering in right. that moment as much. It's yeah. more of a, and then I feel like, okay, would you say that's a shift and we'll get into yeah. more of this in a, in a bit, yeah. but kind of a shift back up the ladder. Yeah. To that ventral. Yeah, because curiosity is what we call an emergent property of ventral, of regulation of that nervous system state that allows that safety and connection and communication. So you can, when you're accessing a drop of ventral, you you have a drop of of curiosity right so so yes curiosity is where i always look first in my own system and with others you know compassion is sometimes next self compassion for me is way down the road somewhere but you know it's along that same path it's curiosity compassion self compassion and if you okay. can find a tiny bit of curiosity then you can be with an experience be with a part rather than being hijacked by it that's right and so do you care to talk about what is polyvagal theory? <laughs> sure. Sure. We've kind of been talking, talking it, but let's talk about it for a moment. Polyvagal theory is Steve brilliant um, description, illustration, development of how the nervous system works. Right. And, and it's, it's um, just such a gift to, to um, we humans, because we all have a nervous system. And through polyvagal theory, we understand our nervous systems work through three basic organizing principles. Neuroception, we can talk about in a minute. Hierarchy, we've been alluding to, and co-regulation, right? So if we think for a moment about neuroception, that's Steve's word for how the nervous system takes in information, right? So it's a biological process that that is searching all the time for safety or unsafety, Right. And it does that through three streams of awareness that listens inside your body all the time. Right. So it's listening to your heart, your lungs, your digestion, your muscles, your viscera, all of that all the time and making a judgment. Does that feel okay or not? Right. And then the second pathway is the outside pathway, the environmental pathway. Right. So, like, we're both sitting in a space and our nervous systems are, are listening for cues of safety and danger. Right. You're used to your space. Probably it looks like your, mm -hmm. the space you use. I'm in my space, but I just heard noises upstairs. So there's something going on right up there. It's like, huh, I wonder. Right. So this is the, the nervous systems taking in information and thinking, is this safe or not? 
right? And the third stream of awareness is what I call the between pathway. So it's nervous system to nervous system, right? So you and I are getting to know each other through language, but we're also getting to know each other nervous system to nervous system mm. through facial expression, through what it feels like simply to be in this place together. So that's neuroception and it's always working. All those streams are taking in information and coming to a conclusion, right? And the conclusion may be, oh, this feels safe enough. Let's just keep going. Or this does not feel safe. When that happens, we then go to hierarchy, right? That second organizing principle and hierarchy is, is the way Steve has, has envisioned the organization of the nervous system, that it has three states that work in a certain order. And it's that predictable order that makes it easy for we as us as clinicians to help our clients and for us as humans to kind of get a sense of, oh, here's where I am, here's where, here's where I know I'll go next. And here's how I find the way home. At the top of the hierarchy, and I put this on a ladder so we can talk about a ladder. At the top of the ladder is what we've called ventral. And we've talked about this a little bit. It's the place where we feel safe enough, organized enough, connected enough to to move through the world, to navigate the day, right? So if you think about neuroception, neuroception is sending you the cues that you're okay in this moment. And then right. you enter into that ventral state and you move forward, mm-hmm. right? When neuroception begins to tip towards danger and the world feels unsafe or begins to feel unsafe, we move down the ladder and the first stop is the sympathetic nervous system, which is that system of fight and flight or mm-hmm. or anger and anxiety, if we want to think of it that way, right? And every human goes there next. That's the beauty of, of understanding the nervous system. We know this is the next stop. When yeah. the world is too much, we go to anger or anxiety, fight or flight. Mm. And if we can solve the problem, so to speak, there. If we resolve what's happening, we can come back up the ladder to ventral to safety connection. If not, there's one more stop, the bottom of the ladder, which is called dorsal vagal. And that's the place of disconnection, mm-hmm. shut down, collapse, disappear. Right. And and in its extreme, we could be immobilized. We could be in bed, not be able to get up and, and just really, really disconnect from the world. But in a, um, a lesser flavor, you know, we sort of are, are going through the motions, but we can't really care. We don't really have energy. You know, we keep putting one foot in front of the other, but, eh, you know, I'm, I'm not really here. Right. So again, there's lots of flavors of these states, but they work, you know, ventral, top of the ladder, sympathetic middle of the ladder, dorsal bottom of the ladder, they work in that order, Mm -hmm. right? And it's helpful to know that because I know if I'm in sympathetic and I don't resolve, I'm going to end up disconnecting. So I might be really angry. And then the next, you know, an hour later, I'm, I'm, I'm done disconnect. So that's what you just said, right? In that moment, just now you said an hour later. So I guess what I'm curious about is, can someone be shifting up and down this ladder pretty quickly? Absolutely. I mean, I said an hour later, I could have said five minutes later, right? It depends on how much resilience we are feeling in any moment, right? So, and resilience is a, is a, you know, outcome of, am I feeling healthy or not? 
um, you know, how many things am I trying to juggle in a day? How much support do I have in my world? So, you know, again, resilience is always changing as well. But if I feel fairly resilient and I'm faced with a sympathetic anxiety moment, I may be able to stay there for a good amount of time and even find my way back to regulation. Mm -hmm. If it's a day when I'm not feeling resilient at all, I may end up in anxiety and pretty quickly just go to shutdown. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's no predictable timeline. There's a predictable order, but no predictable timeline for it. Okay. And that's the interesting thing. Again, each nervous system is going to do it differently and even do it differently day to day. Right. And that was going to be my next question is how does the, and it's the autonomic nervous system specifically yes. that we're talking about, yes. correct? Okay. Yes. Yep. When we're talking about sympathetic and parasympathetic and, and so, yep. like you said, we all have that as humans, we all have that. That's how we're wired. How would you say it impacts us in our daily life? Cause I know we've talked about neuroception. So that's mm -hmm. our ability to detect without awareness, mm -hmm. as you were saying. And I like that you brought up that it's noticing, because I guess when I think of neuroception, a lot of times I immediately think of just like our external environment, right, right. that it's just always scanning the external and not necessarily the internal. Mm -hmm. But I like that you started mm -hmm. with that because that's mm -hmm. a great reminder for me mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. it's noticing how are we feeling? Right. <laughs> Is our stomach right. okay? Or Exactly. having any muscle tension. Yeah. And so, and I think that's interesting because I think what that brought up for me when you said that was, so let's say someone, and I'm talking about myself, <laughs> let's say <laughs> someone maybe has predispositions to certain like food sensitivities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And let's say they ate something that day that is inflammatory to their digestive system. So mm -hmm. that's being inflamed. And then they're at work. And like you said, they have these responsibilities and things that they have to be getting done. But would you say like the, our neuroceptions detecting in that moment, like an alarm kind of going off in the gut that's yeah. saying like, no, this is not feeling yeah. good. This is off. So then yes. could that then be a message being sent through the body to the brain that then might create a story or activate I guess the, the the brain might make up a story about your colleagues at work mm. rather than a story about, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that. Okay. Right. I mean, it's interesting the way the brain makes up stories. Yeah. Because you, 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 you ate something that's inflammatory. You're also at work where you've got a lot of things you're supposed to be juggling. Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes the brain says, you know, find a new job. This is, you know, this is you know a crazy place to work. That's right. right. Sometimes the brain says, Ooh, you know, blaming, shaming, you ate that when you know you shouldn't. That's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we, we want to be, you know, curious about, Hmm, I wonder why, you know, this one and not that one, which in the moment we can't, can't be curious, but later on we could reflect back. And because what I like to, to tell people is whenever you're getting a message or a symptom comes your nervous system's trying to tell you something, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, a, a, an upset stomach, you know, you know, is a physical symptom, but it's also your nervous system trying to say, you know, maybe we should watch what we eat, mm. right? Your 
you know, frustration with your colleagues that might end up as a as a um, angry outburst. Your nervous system is trying to tell you something, and it does it in that way. But underneath the angry outburst is a message for you, right? right? So when we can look underneath, we can hear directly, what do I need to know in this moment? Because it's not, you know, that my colleagues are are not pulling their weight. That's not the message. The message mm-hmm. is somewhere underneath there. So, yeah. 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 So would you say like from that neuroception that, oh, there's something going on here in the gut, then mm-hmm. that could activate, let's say, the sympathetic response of yep. kind of like danger. Yep. Yep. And then- with that activating inside, then again, like a story can, like you were just saying, a story could be, you know, coming up in our brains. And, and it's funny that you brought up like stuff about, you know, I need to leave this job. I've been there before where I was once working for, I am now in private practice. I work for myself, but I was working in another organization and I was at that time very much stuck in a sympathetic flight space. And I remember I I was like, I got to leave. I left work that day. And I remember walking around my neighborhood and just the story was going on in my mind of like, I got to leave this job. I got to leave because it was like putting it on that. Yeah. 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 When it it didn't, that wasn't the cause. (laughs) Right. And if you could take a step back and come to enough regulation, then you could, you, you would see a larger perspective and, you know, be able to list all of the reasons to leave the reasons to stay and come to an informed decision, right? When we're in a survival response, the decision is a reaction rather than a reflection or a response. That's right. right? So, yeah. And and you probably still would have left your job and done something different, but you might've done it differently. That's right. right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so when we are in, would you call it a ventral state or is it more of a, like when things kind of, everything's working well, Mm-hmm. Things are balanced. It doesn't mean that we're never ever shifting into right. the sympathetic or dorsal. Would right. you say it just means that we're able to have those shifts? But then, like you mentioned before, we're able to have that kind of resiliency to be able to then be flexible. Yep. And yep. get back to ventral. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and I think the way I think about it is, you know, some days you know are are pretty ventral regulated days, and then other days are pretty dysregulated days, right? And so it's not one day that we're looking at, we're looking at over time, right? So over the course of a week, you know, have I had more ability to regulate and come back to regulation or have I been stuck in survival strategies? That's a better way to look at it than mm. than this moment in time because we all have the moments. Right. It's, it's when we put them together and begin to see patterns that we get the information we need to think, is this a job that's sustainable? Is this a relationship that that I can make work? Is the, you know, those are the ways we we begin to have nervous system inform us in a different way. That's a great way to state that. And that's a great, again, reminder of to look at the bigger picture, to kind of zoom out a little bit in terms of like a week, a couple weeks, a month. And like you just said, yeah. if let's say we are at a job and we are noticing, wow, like, yeah, I'm shifting into that sympathetic mm-hmm. anger or anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it's oftentimes when I'm going to work <laughs> or mm-hmm. when I'm mm-hmm. at work or when I'm leaving work, then yeah, then that would be something that maybe that is 
related, but to be able gives, to, yeah. right, it, it gives you the information that you can then follow. I think a lot of what we do in the beginning is we gather information and we gather it through our nervous system response rather than through our cognitive mm -hmm. explanation. And so we gather all the information and then we can say, what is all this information? When I put it all together, what is it trying to tell me and where is it leading me, mm -hmm. right? And and I've worked with so many people who will make the same decision, but it feels so different when you make it because you choose it and decide than if you just make it in a moment because you, you're you're totally overwhelmed and have to. Right. And and I think the thing we want to remember about the nervous system is that it it gives you information all the time. And if we don't pay attention, it's going to act in more intense ways until it gets us to pay attention, mm. right? It, it, it doesn't give up, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you're not paying attention to the, you know, the headache that you get every time you get in your car and, and go to meet a certain person, mm. right? If you don't pay attention, it's going to take more and more extreme action until it gets you to pay attention. Yes. Right? So I try to say to people, let's try and listen when it's speaking softly, right? right? Yeah. And it's easy, though, to just ignore some of those things. Yeah. And, to and I just, think we're taught, too. I think we're that's taught, what, yeah. you know, that it's a brain-centric world and, we say, oh, you know, power through mm -hmm. or, you know, second guess or it's just, you know, that's just an old story. So, we, yes, we're taught to not pay attention. And then um, I think we pay the price, you know, which yeah. doesn't mean every time a nervous system says, you know, don't do it, that, that I... I'm going to immediately follow that, but I'm going to sit down and I'm going to say, let me think about this, mm -hmm. right? Because we want to stretch ourselves. We grow by stretching, mm -hmm. right? And so I need a little bit of, I don't know, discomfort's not the right word, but trying something a bit different that feels a little unfamiliar, mm -hmm. right? That stretches my nervous system. But as soon as I move into stressing it, doing it even when it feels really awful or there's a, you know, the nervous system says no, then I suffer, right? Mm -hmm. And then when we go to that point, we end up in old familiar survival patterns and cannot change out of them. So if you're looking to change something and make a new pattern, you have to, to you know, try something that's a bit different to stretch, but not so different that you end up in one of your survival responses, because then you're biologically unable to make a change. Your brain still wants to, but your nervous system says no. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel like this might be a, a nice transition into, so for someone who's experienced trauma, which I feel like as humans, we've all experienced trauma. <laughs> at varying degrees at different points in our life. But for someone who's experienced trauma, how maybe does the nervous system get impacted? So I, I think what happens um, if if we experience early trauma, we don't then get to do the that third organizing principle of co-regulation in the way um, we're meant to developmentally we're meant to you know have a safe organized regulated human around us who we depend on as as little ones to help us navigate the world mm -hmm. to help us you know come to that place of, of about falling apart and then be you know you know held in somebody's arms and feel safe enough again right right and if we don't have that and so many people didn't have that 
right? If we didn't have that, then the nervous system has to rely on um, self-regulation, mm-hmm. on figuring it out on our own, um, because there is, isn't a safe person to 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 do it with. Oh, my cat just jumped up. You gotta get down. <laughs> um, and when that happens, um, we begin to, to feel that people are dangerous, right? And, and so I have to do it myself. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and that leads, of course, we could think about attachment styles. It leads to these insecure attachment styles or even a disorganized attachment style mm-hmm. because the nervous system doesn't have what it needs to feel safely connected. Right. So there is that that happens. The, the, the good news is that, that, you know, polyvagal theory tells us that those circuits are waiting to be to be brought to life. It's mm-hmm. not it's not that they go away and, and aren't there. They're there waiting. Right. Right. And so we can, you know, enliven them as we grow and find safe people to be around. But what happens, you know, when we experience trauma, and even if we experience trauma later in life, the nervous system enters into a survival response automatically. It takes you there because its job is to keep you safe. Right. Mm-hmm. And it often doesn't recognize that the trauma is over. And so it keeps us there. And some familiar cue of danger that happened in that moment in that trauma is is present in the in the present moment and the nervous system feels it it can be just a tiny familiar cue and it'll take you right back to that old trauma response because it's trying to keep you safe right and it says oh i know this cue and it takes you back to fight flight collapse shut down Mm -hmm. because that's its job to keep you safe in the moment. And so we see those repeating patterns happening all the time. And we think, you know, it doesn't make any sense. You know, I'm perfectly safe, but that's your brain saying that your nervous system says, but I felt that and I felt that before Mm -hmm. and I'm going to take you to survival. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's a beautiful reminder that I'll often remind myself, but also to my clients of this is a natural way of being and that this is a protective mechanism that is amazing that we just have this wired in in that way that this is something within us biologically that is there to try and give us these big warning signals or energy to survive or even the shutdown experience, Mm -hmm. which then helps us in moments maybe of actual life threatening, not experience as much pain. Exactly. That's the job is is to 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 numb us, right? That so that we don't feel so much pain. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting because it, the survival responses in the moment we just go into them, but we can then reflect afterwards, right? And bring some curiosity to the process. Mm-hmm. Right. And the question, I have a discernment question that I, you know, invite people to use. And the question is in that moment. So it's taking you to the present in that moment, in that place. So the environmental cues with that person or people, if you were around others. So the relational cues was the intensity of my response or my response needed. Right. Mm -hmm. And we can reflect back on it. We can't do it in the moment, but we can look back. Right. And so many times I do this for myself. and, And the answer is that the level of my response was not needed. Right. And then the next question is, is it familiar? And oh, yes, very familiar. Right. Again, you're getting to see the patterns. And although you didn't change it in the moment, you're looking back, reflecting. And the more you do that, the more you can begin to see the pattern and not respond in the same way. Mm hmm. 
Okay. Yeah, I I was thinking back uh, many, 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 many years ago in my life, there was a situation where I was at a restaurant with a group of friends and Mm -hmm. in my memory of it, it was, well, in the experience, I guess. Now looking back, I see the other stuff connected to it. But in the moment, it was like all of a sudden, I felt the shift into, again, that sympathetic flight state. And I was sitting there at the table and I was like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. And there was nothing yeah. wrong. I was there with, with friends that I love right. and felt safe with. Mm-hmm. And the environment mm-hmm. was safe, but mm-hmm. I just had that shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it yeah. was a moment where I had to look at the people I was with and be like, we need to go. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, I was with people that I, I knew for a long time and, and they were like, uh, they were confused <laughs> and I explained, you know, it to the extent that I could somewhat mm. understand it, but you know, it's in those moments that can feel very confusing because you're like, I'm safe. I'm with people that I'm, that I love and feel safe with. But yeah. So in that moment, would you say like when I was in the restaurant, And I had that shift Mm -hmm. and in that, I guess the story Mm -hmm. that I was then coming up with cognitively Mm -hmm. was that I didn't feel well and that I needed to leave in order to feel better. And so is that, I guess I could see where that's really confusing. That was confusing for me at the time. I was in my early twenties, you know, and that's where, yeah, I then feel like you could get blended with I think parts of us that then become critical mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. shaming mm-hmm. of you yeah. know why did you do that right, right. what's wrong with yeah. you right yes so if you just look at your nervous system your nervous system had an intense survival response took you to a survival strategy that your brain tried to make some sense of and said okay I don't feel well let's go mm-hmm. right that the, the I, when you were telling that story, the lovely part of it for me was that you told your friends, we have to go, mm-hmm. and they didn't try to talk you out of it, right? They they left with you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, And so that for the nervous system, that was what we call a disconfirming experience, it was you were believed, trusted, you left, and, you know, whatever, things got better because nobody said, oh, no, we're going to stay, or you didn't feel trapped, Yes. And so you could leave. And then you could take time once you were, you know, came back to some sort of regulation and probably with the help of somebody else, you could reflect on it and say, wow, that it, my response felt out of proportion to to what was actually happening in the moment. That's always my cue. If it feels out of proportion, yeah, I know that something from my past is is active in the present moment, right? And then I can be curious about it. But I can't be curious in the moment. In the moment, I just have to do whatever my yeah. nervous system is telling me, right? And that's so fine. that's a beautiful story for you that that your nervous system gave you a message. You paid attention, made up a story. Doesn't matter you know, with friends got away and then later, you know, could process it and say, oh, now I, now I get what's going on. So yeah. that the next time you get that same message, you could bring that awareness and say, well, let's just wait a minute and see, is it similar to this other experience? Mm-hmm. Right. And because the nervous system really loves to compare and contrast, it needs that. And so you've got to 
contrasting comparison experience now mm. that you could use and say, oh, so it feels very much like this. And here was was really what was going on then, right? Mm -hmm. And so we begin to be able to use all that information to be with our nervous system and invite a different response rather than, than overwhelming our system and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to stay when, when you're getting all these alarm bells going off, which gets you nowhere, right? That's so, right. So it's that partnering with that I think is so important. And sometimes it does mean that we do do things that in retrospect feel kind of, I mean, I've done things and I look back and say, that was a crazy thing to do. Right. Mm -hmm. But in the moment, my nervous system said, this is what needs to happen. Okay. Right. Yeah. 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 And like you said, in the moment, we might not be able to have just that full capability to just completely like shift that mm. back into ventral. It might just be, okay, let's at least just like be able to name it, bring awareness yep. to it and yep kind of go with it yeah. and then yeah. I think over time like you were saying with familiarity being able like let's say I was in a restaurant again a couple months later and I started feeling the same thing again mm -hmm. that's where I could be like oh wait a minute right. I had this I feeling again this. Yeah. I felt this before right in a similar situation right uh but it's and again I think that's getting curious yep. which helps get a drop of ventral yep. And yeah. shift out of that fear a little bit yeah. Yeah. and to then be able to maybe do what I, I need to do in that moment. Maybe, maybe I share mm -hmm. it again with the person that I'm with, like how I'm feeling, maybe have some of that mm -hmm. yeah connection. Yeah. And then if I need to go outside and like breathe some fresh air, you know, maybe that's what my nervous system needs. Exactly. Yeah. To help shift. Yeah. I think we, you know, it, it takes us to that honoring the wisdom of our nervous system. Right. And I've said to clients over and over, if you get an intense message from your nervous system, just go with it. If it says, get out of here, get out of here. And we can reflect and, and try and figure it out later. Mm -hmm. But in the moment, your nervous system is intensely sending you an alarm. Just follow that. And then we'll figure it out later. So, and I think, yeah. because I think we're taught the opposite. We're taught, you know, mm -hmm. growing up all the way along, you know, ignore what's mm -hmm. happening. Trauma survivors, especially, I think are taught to ignore what's happening inside, right? What you're feeling isn't, isn't right, right? What you're seeing isn't happening. Don't talk about anything of that. So, you know, nervous system experience is, is to, when we work with it, is do the opposite. Notice a name. That's what you were talking about. Notice what happens. Name it. Even doing that begins to bring it into a different space. Yeah. Talk to others. Share with others who will safely receive mm -hmm. and not judge what you're saying, not try to talk you out of it. That's right. right. There, there are all these ways that that our nervous system can be can be held in the ways that it didn't get to be held before. Yeah. And then it builds those new pathways and patterns. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a thought I just had, and now I'm losing it. I know that feeling. Uh, I'm yeah. like, oh, wait a minute. I was right there. Um, <laughs> oh, I did want to, I do want to ask you this. So can our nervous system shifts and sensitivity be impacted by genetics? just something that we're just kind of wired for from birth? It's an, it's an interesting question and one that I'm not sure we fully have an answer to yet. I think what we would say about um, if we're in the womb of a mom who is anxious or depressed, there's some thought that 
we might have more of a sensitivity to that, to anxiety or depression, but there's no um, data that says you then are going to be anxious or depressed. So it may be that your nervous system has a sensitivity towards it, but I'm not sure we even know that because it's really the, the, the experience, yes, growing in the womb is, is important, but it's sort of when you are born, how are you met? Right. You know, we have this, you know, nervous system expectation that will be met by a regulated human. And I think that's probably very impactful if we are or aren't met by a regulated human. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, I think probably there, there will be more and more research about how um, genetics, epigenetics, mm -hmm. all that mm -hmm. impacts when we think about um you know, in the IFS world, legacy burdens, or we think about generational um, trauma, yeah. um, there is research that goes on around that. But the way I like to think about it is, you know, if you think back to your, um, whoever raised you, you know, and think, what were their nervous systems like? Because that was the, the nervous system environment your nervous system was shaped in. Right. Right. And then we could think back to how their nervous systems were shaped. Mm -hmm. So you can go back another generation. What happened there? And when we do that and look through the lens of the nervous system, we often can be more compassionate. Right. I know I could look back at my my um, my mom and, and my dad and think, oh, their nervous systems were shaped. And, you know, my mom's in a in an environment of, of lots of secrets mm -hmm. and a lot of of um, people just sort of pretending to be whatever. And my dad's in a um, environment of lots of dorsal disconnect. Right. And so I could have compassion for what they then brought to their partnership and their, you know, their family, right. They, they knew what their nervous system knew. Right. right. And so somehow it helps have a bit of compassion. If you do a, you could do an autonomic family tree, so to speak. Right. And you begin to, to see how people were shaped by their biology. So yeah. it, it is an interesting experience um, to, to kind of look at it that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and me personally, that's been helpful for me is to have that understanding of my family line and how their nervous system has been, what, uh, if you want to look at, you know, protector parts, wounded parts, yep. you know, have been present, um, like you said, cultural burdens and, and how that has impacted each of them down the family line up and to, you know, now me. Right. And I, I have, I, I don't know if I'm familiar with, uh, Ann Cinco in the IFS mm -hmm. world. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. She does yep. a lot with like legacy burden work and yes. yeah, I interviewed her and she was actually my level one trainer in IFS yeah. and you know, we talked a lot about legacy burdens and she always recommends doing like a genogram, like looking at your family tree and then like writing right. down what you're aware of or able to find in regards to, you know, individuals and their struggles mm -hmm. in your family right. as well as gifts Yep, and yeah. what you resonate with. Yes. you know, what yeah. you experience that's, that's yeah. in there as well. Yeah. And when I did that and then doing my own personal work with that, with my therapist, it was really helpful <laughs> to have this realization of, oh, okay. So some of this activation that doesn't mm -hmm. make sense to me, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, that, it, that that is okay, that that mm -hmm. doesn't make sense mm -hmm. because maybe that's yeah. just been a pass down and a somewhat yeah. a percentage of this maybe has been influenced by 
like yeah. you were saying, yeah. just yeah. the nervous system states and in the context of their environments and their environments and what they've been going through and, mm-hmm. and how it's then impacted me. Yeah, and the that, family yeah. beliefs that get passed down, right? Right. That, that, that you know, we we just experience this is this is how families work, mm-hmm. and yet their their beliefs that that are embedded in in parts and in, in nervous system states that get get passed down. And I think Anne would would say the same that that I say that as you know as we become more regulated beings as we heal our nervous system, we we then transmit something else going forward but i think we also have the potential of transmitting that back right the healing can yes. go backwards and forwards which i think is a you know depending on your your view of time and, mm-hmm. and how it works but i love that i love thinking that the work i'm doing now is certainly benefiting my children my grandchildren but it can also go back and benefit the people yes. who came before me i mm. agree I, I completely agree with that and i have felt that you know doing that inner work and yeah. Yeah. Again, I think it's that connection doesn't stop. Right. Even right. after death. Yeah. You still yeah. feel that you can feel that connection. You know, there oh, yeah, the thing that I was going to say before was kind of going back a little bit to what you were saying in regards to being able to notice and name. What I have noticed is when I'm working with someone who, like we were just saying, maybe had a family belief of kind of an unspoken one of like, mm-hmm. you don't talk about it. Yep. You don't share it. Right. That that has led to even more stuckness. Yes. Yeah. With someone being in, let's say, a sympathetic state in particular, but also maybe dorsal as well of like, oh, I'm like trapped in this. I'm stuck in this and I can't share it. I can't change it. I just have to keep pushing forward with it. Yeah. And oh, man. Yeah. That yeah, I th- I th- those are the 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 moments when you can bring the biology of that experience to life. That it takes it out of the 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 cognitive narrative. It takes it out of a um, you know a I have to thing to oh, my biology is is saying this is the pathway that's open, and then to say and there are a couple other pathways we could explore, right? But in that moment, it does not feel safe enough to talk about whatever it is. So it's not, it's not a convincing somebody it's, it's safe because safety is not a cognitive experience. It's helping them move to enough embodied safety, a state of ventral so that the, the belief can begin to shift, Mm. right? Because from ventral, it feels, oh, it might be possible that I could actually say this to this person. Right. So, so it, it's a, just a different way of working because we, you know, we may know, you know, you need to be able to talk and it's safe enough to talk, but we can't talk to their brain. We have to talk to the nervous system and say, what would help you feel a little bit safer in this moment? Mm-hmm. How do we bring in a cue of safety so that we can begin to shift that balance that's, that's going on? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you're right. If we don't, we're trapped. Mm-hmm. And the more we're trapped, the more intense the response is. And so how can we do this befriending of our nervous system and what impacts would that, does that have in being able to, yeah, Yeah. befriend our nervous system? (laughs) Yeah, right. It it is, you know, we get to know and, and, you know, my work has been to create, you know, maps that people can, can fill out so that they can get to know what happens in each of their states. What, what does their body do? What do they think? What do they feel? What are the behaviors, the beliefs, all of that. And, and really the beginning befriending is to begin to get to know and then to keep returning, keep tuning in. 
right? So when you you notice you're having a, a an experience, your body's telling you something, or there's a neuroception of of something off, tune into it rather than turning away from it. Turn toward it. Be curious. What do you, what do I need to know in this moment? Right? Because just like making a friend, you, you don't make a friend by meeting someone and then that's it. Right. Right. <laughs> you meet someone and then you get to know them. What are they like? How do, what are they like doing? You you make time to be with them. The same is true with your nervous system, right? You mm-hmm. begin to get to know it and you think, oh, I wanna want need to learn a little more because I'm not sure what this particular, you know, heart racing cue is. Is it is it because I'm feeling anxious or am I excited? Mm-hmm. Right? Same body sensation, two very different directions to go yeah, in. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, the basic sort of um tune in, listen to the cues with curiosity. I think curiosity again is is the essential ingredient in in the beginning to be able to to not just, you know, look away from or dismiss, discount mm-hmm. what's happening. Right. right, because it's it's incredibly important information. You know, eighty percent of the information that that comes from your nervous system is is a body to brain highway. Eighty mm-hmm. percent of that information, and and yet we we you know preference our brain over everything, mm-hmm. right? So you know, if we can, if our brain and body can collaborate, wow, look at the amount of information we have and the the directions it can take us. So yeah, and I think that what you said is again makes a lot of sense and like like if you were meeting someone you wouldn't just say oh hi but then <laughs> just kind of like walk right. away if you were wanting to you know so it it is it's turning towards and and again I swear I I can reflect on and I've gotten to know parts of me whose job maybe has been to help distract from it or reject it but yeah. obviously that doesn't do the yeah. healing. It can help maybe a little bit somewhat with some softening, but then you're just kind of, I think now the way I look at it is I was getting stuck mm-hmm. in this push and pull yeah. of yeah. my nervous system kind of being like, Hey, yeah. this is happening. Yeah. And then a part of me trying to manage that being like, no, no, no. Right. We're not right. going to turn towards you and you better soften. Yeah. You better go away. And here's what I'm going to do instead. Right. But that doesn't I mean, the, lead to no. healing. And, you know, a, a question that's, you know, very IFS-like also nervous system is, you know, your your survival state is doing what it's doing because it's afraid something worse is going to happen. So if I'm in a place of sympathetic anxiety, the question is, if I stop doing whatever the pattern is that I'm doing, what does my sympathetic system say worse is going to happen? Mm. Right? And usually the answer is you'll fall to dorsal despair and disconnect. Mm. Right? My clients will say, well, if I'm not doing this, they you know, really angry thing, I'll die. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the dorsal, I'll die. I just will stop existing. So we begin mm. to see why the nervous system does what, what the worry is. Or rejection, which is again disconnection, mm-hmm. and yeah, and dorsal's worry. It's keeping you collapsed because its worry is you'll get some energy and you'll end up in sympathetic, and life will get really messy. Yeah, right. All that anger and anxiety is going to burst out, right? And so dorsal says, "No, but safer down here." Right. So they mm-hmm. both systems have have their worries and they have their reasons for keeping you in the pattern you're in. And we can't change that pattern until we understand the worry. 
So one of the ways to to begin to to look at this is, you know, listen to ask that question. If I stop doing whatever it is, you know, one I was working on for a long time was this, I felt driven to answer emails immediately, mm. right? And you will have discovered I changed that one because I left yours for I don't know how long. <laughs> a few other things got in the way, but it was this drivenness and sympathetic said, if you don't do it right away, you will be forgotten. No one is going to ever want to hear what you have to say. And you will end up um, mm. being, you know, homeless, penniless on the street. You can see where it goes. Our, right. our brains make up these amazing stories. Right. So I had to work with that before I could change the pattern. Mm. Right. So the other question that, you know, you want to ask yourself is if you could step out of the pattern, what positive ventral regulated experience might be there? Right. Because there's also a hope. A nervous mm. system has both a worry and a hope. Right. Sometimes the hope is harder to get to because the worry is so big, but it's worth asking the question what might be possible? What tiny thing might appear? Right. Yeah. So, my answer to not being so driven to answer emails was, you know, I might make a better, you know, make a more informed choice, you know, and, and enjoy life a little more. Right. Mm. So, you know, another way to begin to get to know your nervous system and to respect, it's really trying to help you. That's right. Right. No matter and what it's doing. That it has a positive intention. Does. It yeah. is trying to protect us. And yeah. it might though be stuck in something that's historical. Yeah. yeah. And, but we won't know that unless mm -hmm. we turn towards it right. with curiosity and get to know it. Right. Yeah. Right. So we've kind of already started this already, but you, you talk about this way of, of befriending our nervous system through, you call it a uh, basic B A S I C. Yep. Yep. So we've yes. talked about the first one, which is befriend. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Right. That an attend is sort of the more paying attention and tracking. Where am I in this moment? Right. Am I in regulation or am I in one of my survival strategies? You get to see the patterns, the moment in time and the patterns. Both are important. So that's mm -hmm. attend. And then once we have done, that's the information gathering, the befriending, attending, then we can be begin to shape. Okay. Right. And those are the practices we can do to, to begin to have more ventral moments in our life, right? And and the uh, a simple one that I love and I'll, you know, share with you is is my glimmer practice because mm. it really is um pretty easy to reach for. And and before I I, you know, take you through it, I do want to say that that it's important to remember looking for glimmers, which are these tiny moments of regulation, connection, safety, tiny moments of feeling okay in the world is not a form of toxic positivity or a form of, you know, count your blessings and discount the suffering. It is really a way to, to honor that the nervous system can hold all of the suffering and be in a, in a dangerous world and also have tiny moments of okayness. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful both and of that our biology is able to have. And the thing about finding glimmers is that you find one and, and you love it. It's good for like, Five seconds is all you need. But the next time you find one, it lands and they begin to accumulate. Mm. So it begins to shape your system more towards safety and connection. Yeah. So, you know, the the first thing is to to sort of notice a glimmer and and how how do you know you've bumped into one? Right. Sometimes you feel it in your body, sometimes your eye catches, sometimes, sometimes I'll have a thought and go, oh, that's lovely. Right. But it's this tiny moment. 
So then you see it, you stop for just a moment or two and appreciate it. That's it. Nothing else needed. Right. And so they're easy. They're they're actually the, you know, world tells us they're all around us. Glimmers mm-hmm. are all around us, but we miss them because we're not looking for them. That's right. Right. So the invitation would be to to, you know, look for glimmers. Yeah. Right. Just know I, I they are them. everywhere and see if you can find one. And right? I also feel like when we are aware of the glimmers, we're being present. Yes. We're yes. not getting stuck in yeah. the stories. Yeah. And yeah. in all yeah. of that, it's we're yeah. present. Yeah. We're able to notice that beautiful flower over there uh-huh. and be like, oh, wow, that flower is so beautiful. <laughs> uh-huh. Let me go and admire it. You know, that's yeah. we're yeah. present. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah, and just being able to bring awareness yeah. and to have yeah. that conscious awareness yeah. of yeah. even yeah. like saying it, would you say of like, oh, this is a glimmer. Yes. Yes, absolutely. See, stop, appreciate, share intend mm. all of those things and say, Ooh, glimmer. Right. I have a, I had a client who, you know, we were beginning that practice and she would say, I would just stop her and go glimmer, glimmer, yeah. glimmer. I thought that's so sweet. You know, yes. it's lovely. Point at it, say the word, whatever you want to do. However, I often touch my heart because I can feel where I feel like, Oh, mm-hmm. glimmer, you know, but, but yeah, so something simple in the beginning, the shaping want, we want things that are easy to reach for that are simple to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we want to feel successful. And as you find a glimmer, you will naturally begin to look for more. So it's not a hard thing to to do. So that's one of the shaping practices. And then after we've done some shaping, then we begin to integrate, mm-hmm. right? We begin things, the new patterns begin to form. We begin to to say, how can I put things together differently? How do I bring this this practice in and do it more regularly? You begin to feel that integration happening. And the last is is connect, right? And so connect is interesting because I'm connecting to the world differently. I'm connecting to people differently. And I get to sort of choose how do I want to move through the world? Who do I want to connect with? And I think the thing that I I like to tell people and um, probably, a, a, you know, a disclosure in the beginning of this kind of work is as your system reorganizes, you will look for other systems that are organized in a more regulated way as well. Mm-hmm. So the connect is often finding new people who, you know, are are regulated in similar ways and also figuring out how do I want to stay connected with people, usually family members with the people I'm working with, who are not regulated in a way that feels nourishing to me any longer. And yet they're my family. I want to stay connected in some way. Yeah. Right. So connect has a lot of different layers, right? Mm-hmm. Connecting. We have four pathways to self, to others, to the world, and to spirit. And when we get to that connect, we're really exploring those four pathways and how do we want to be in connection? Yeah, that's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that you laid this out so simply with the basic and, but within each of those steps, of course, there's, you know, more information to yeah to gain. And so that's where I would really encourage any listener who doesn't own one of your books (laughs) to buy one of your books, because you are able to go into depth about these things so beautifully. And the flip chart, the polyvagal flip chart is one in particular that I feel like is really easy to understand. And it's just laid out so simply. So like I said, I've kept that the flip chart by my therapy chair for (laughs) 
many, many years and I will pull it out and reference it myself and with clients often. And I'm just so grateful for your time. And thank you for bringing this out. And, and, you know, so I love that you named the things that I'm hoping to achieve. The things are simple. They're, they're easy to reach for because that's, I think what we need. We, we need things that, and we can begin to feel a difference happening. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that, you know, I have a huge goal. You know, I go to therapy, I have this goal that that's like, you know, a hundred steps down the road. But if I can feel each one of those steps and feel my system shaping in a new way, I'm encouraged, I'm optimistic, I'm hopeful. And I think that's the power of what the nervous system can give us. It, it gives us that, that hope we can see and feel the changes happening. Mm-hmm. And that change is possible that we don't have yep. to be stuck in a certain state forever. Yeah. And if we can get curious and turn towards and befriend and have yeah. compassion and that curiosity that yeah. we can shape and mm-hmm. yeah. live a way of being with our nervous system with understanding as opposed to fear. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, you know, if we take that one step further, as we shape our nervous system in the direction of safety connection, we then become a, a regulated healing presence for others, mm. right? So it's this lovely ripple effect that, that can happen, which is what keeps me hopeful in the days we're living in right now, that, you yeah. know, each time I'm regulated and I'm sending that message out into the world, I'm inviting other nervous systems to feel some safety and connection too. Absolutely. Yes. Beautiful message right there. <laughs> As an IFS, they say self-energy is contagious. Yep. And yep. Yeah. I know. I like to say ventral vagal energy is an unopposable force. So we're all saying yeah, the same thing. That's right. Yeah. It's yeah, all the same exactly, thing. Exactly. And before we end today, I want to make sure people know about you, of course, and your resources. I've mentioned your books, definitely recommend those. I'll put links in the show notes to to those resources, to your website, rhythmofregulation.com. You were telling me that you'll also have a new kind of workbook Ask. Yeah, I don't even know what I what I call it. It, it. it was going to be a journal, but it had too many words because I, I tend to want to explain things. So it's called Polyvagal Prompts. And I wrote it with a colleague, Courtney Rolf. Um, and it's coming out in February, I think I have just finished um, this. That's with Norton with my clinical work. And I have just finished a workbook, the nervous system workbook with sounds true that will come out Oh, I don't know, 10 months maybe. And I'm working on, this is my favorite at the moment, I'm working on a glimmer journal, oh, nice. which is going to come out um, sometime in 2024, which will be a fun way to to track um, track glimmers and keep and share them. And yeah, so yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's yeah. great. And that's a fun thing to be working on at this moment in life, isn't it? The, you know, yes. looking for the glimmers. Yeah. Looking for the glimmers. And like you said, they're there. We just yes. have to be open to- yes to noticing them and bringing awareness to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Deb. So Mm -hmm. much. So grateful. Thank you. It was, it was lovely to spend some time together. Thank you all so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, give it a rating and leave a review. You can also follow me on Instagram at Natalie Deering and sign up for my newsletter on my website, ndwellnessservices.com to receive updates about podcast episodes, workshops, and more.